Hey, buddy, what you doing? Is it Christmas yet? No, sorry, not yet. I can't wait for Christmas. Yeah, I can't wait for Christmas either. In fact, let's celebrate now. <laughs> Welcome to the Can't Wait for Christmas podcast. <laughs> it's June 25th, 2018, and that means, as of today, there are exactly six months until Christmas. Today on the show, we'll take a look at the Christmas classic, Miracle on 34th Street. We'll also give you five ways to celebrate Christmas in July this year, add some Christmas to your nights, decide what we should call ourselves, and we'll hear the synopsis for our latest attempt to write a flick with all the hallmarks of a great Christmas movie. Okay, let's start the show. It's Leon Day, and we have a tradition here on Leon Day. And by tradition, I mean we've done this one time before, but we play the official Leon Day Carol! Thank you, Mr. Jovi and your Jovets. We are officially halfway to Christmas, only six months left to wait. But, as the name of this podcast says, I can't wait for Christmas. I need a little Christmas now! We need a in this part of the show, I try to give you a tip to get you a little Christmas any day. But not this time. This tip gets you a little Christmas any night. It's Christmas pajamas! Maybe people might judge you for wearing a Christmas sweater in the middle of June, and as someone who regularly does it, I can assure you, they do judge you. But, nighttime is your time. It's just you and the Sandman. He doesn't care what you wear, so grab a pair of Christmas pajamas when it's bedtime. Who knows? It might even give you some Christmas dreams. Pro tip. Most Christmas pajamas are designed to be worn in late December, but you'll probably want to avoid any thick flannel in the heat of summer. So, if you gotta order some special lightweight Christmas pajamas just for the summer, well, then that's what you gotta do. That's what the internet is for. So there you go. May all your dreams be jolly dreams. Christmas pajamas. Do that thing. Moving right along, today, as I mentioned earlier, is Leon Day, which is the unofficial kickoff of Christmas in July. Even though it's more than a week away. I don't make the rules, I just blather about them. So, you may be looking to get the most out of your Christmas in July this year. Fortunately, when I started this podcast, I unknowingly became a part of a greater Christmas content universe. We are like the Avengers, but instead of fighting aliens and robots, we celebrate Christmas on the internet. As it turns out, plenty of us are doing something to take advantage of Christmas in July. So I'll count down five ways you can join us in today's five golden things. Before we start, I want to point out that unlike most five golden things lists, I'm not ranking these. It's not like three is better than four or four is better than three or anything like that. This is just a list that happens to be numbered for your convenience. So let's start with the first arbitrary number. Number five. My Merry Christmas. Every year at Christmas, My Merry Christmas tracks Santa's journey around the world on Kringle Radio. Now, I've mentioned this in the past. It's a few days of Christmas music with news reports of Santa's journey in between. And when Christmas in July comes around, they rebroadcast it so you can relive all the memories, music, and magic from last Christmas. This year is no exception. For more info on this and the other My Merry Christmas goings on in July, head on over to MyMerryChristmas.com. Number four. All Things Christmas. 
This is another site we've mentioned before. They post all sorts of great articles on Christmas food, crafts, decorations, movies, pretty much all things Christmas. Oh, I bet that's why they call it that. Well, this July, they're organizing a Christmas in July blog swap. All sorts of folks will be contributing blogs from anything from recipes to crafts to decorating to organizing to activities. It promises to be super informative and introduce you to some new voices in Christmas love. You can find it or even contribute yourself if there's still time when you're listening to this at allthingschristmas.com. Number three. Christmas TV history. Joanna Wilson posts a blog about Christmas on TV from the popular to the rare, and for the last few years, she's thrown a virtual online party every July. And this year, no different. It's a big chance to get to know your fellow Christmas fans as you answer some fun questions like name your favorite Henson Muppets Christmas program or what Christmas episode, special, or movie doesn't exist that you wish did. It'll be fun to email in your answers as well as read everyone else's. You can check it out now at christmastvhistory.com. Number two. Tis the podcast. Okay, gotta be careful about this one. I know occasionally some of the younger folk listen to this show. Tis the podcast is a year-round podcast that talks about Christmas movies all year long. And unlike me, they're out every week, son. They get it done. But for Christmas in July, they're doing a special bonus episode where their listeners share their stories of when they, let's say, found out about Santa Claus. Wink. Got it. So, watch for that. Well, I guess listen for that at tisthepodcast.com. Honorable mentions. Christmas Pass Podcast. If you follow the Christmas Pass Podcast on Twitter, which I do, they are counting down to something big happening July 15th. They're being a little cryptic with the details to heighten the drama, but I have a hunch you're going to want to head on over to christmaspasspodcast.com to find out for yourself. Also, there's this little podcast having its third anniversary on July 25th. They're doing an all-listener suggestions show. You should write into them and be a part of the show. Now, what was the name of that show? Hang on. I can't seem to find... Wait! No, that's not it. I don't know what I have all this junk on my desk for. I should really just ask Santa for a desk organizer this Christmas! Wow, really? Look, imaginary listener, it sounds kind of like Kermit the Frog. I felt weird enough including my podcast with all these other great shows. I'm just trying to make it, I don't know, spice it up a little bit. Maybe you should just move on to number one on the list, Spicy McGee. Sounds good. Number one. Christmas in July trivia game show. So TV networks tend to have a lot of game shows on during the summer. It's a good way to have something fun to watch while you're waiting for your favorite shows to premiere this fall. Well, us Christmas internet folk decided we wanted in on this action too. So we got together the superstars of Christmas on the Net, and also me, for a Christmas trivia challenge. It was hosted and really spearheaded by Brian Earle from the Christmas Past podcast. And besides me, the contestants are Joanna Wilson from Christmas TV, Tom Crow from Tis the Podcast, and Lee Cameron, the Christmas Podfather from the Christmas Stocking Podcast. What's more, you'll not only hear us, but you'll see us. We recorded it on video. Fair warning, you'll notice two things when you watch. The first is, I forgot to shave and I look like a grizzly hobo. So... Sorry about that. Secondly, you'll also notice everyone else is super chill and cool. Like, they're taking the game seriously, but they're not goofing around. I, on the other hand, am acting like a Christmas clown shoe. Back to Tim. Tim, in Mickey's Christmas Carol, yes, his <laughs> character plays the role of Jacob Marley. Is it A, Donald Duck, B, Jiminy Cricket, or C, Goofy? C! <laughs> <laughs> Goofy is correct. <laughs> See, I knew that I'm 
pretty bad at remembering things. So rather than try and be the one who got the most correct answers, I decided to be the silliest one. So apologies to my fellow Christmas content creators if my antics were too nutty. Bonus apologies for having to watch me hit mute on my iPad every five seconds so you don't hear my kids running around like maniacs in the background. But keep a lookout for that. Brian told me the video was going to be part of the Christmas Pass surprises on July 15th. Now, if you weren't writing all those websites down, don't worry. I linked them all in the show notes of this episode. But do you have any Christmas in July on the web events or happenings you'd like to share? Let us know on Twitter at ChristmasPod or on Facebook, Can't Wait for Christmas Pod, so we can share them with everyone else. Speaking of sharing, you are good enough to share your thoughts with me so that I can share them with everyone in a little segment we like to call Santa Bab's Mailbag. Santa Bab, he is gonna read some emails from you or tweets. Facebook messages to Santa Bab. He is opening up his mailbag tonight. Just a reminder, next episode will be all listener feedback and suggestions. So be sure to write in with your five golden things idea, your Christmas now ideas, your who's saying it best ideas, or even a topic that you want to hear discussed at length. But let's get to some emails that are already in the bag, like this one from Chris in London. Chris writes, Hey man, love the podcast. Little bit of Christmas joy I get each month is excellent and just enough to get me through. Listening to your pod about having Christmas-related ornaments still up reminded me I still have my Christmas shower curtain up, and I really don't want to take it down, despite my mom urging me to do it every week. Thanks, Chris, and you stay strong, buddy. At this point, it's Leon Day. Now that it's been up for at least half a year, there's no point in taking it down now. You just have to ride it all the way back through till Christmas again. I mean, you're going to have to put it back up in five months anyway, so good luck and merry showering. Speaking of leaving decor up a bit longer than, quote, normal people do, here's a Facebook message we got from Tim. First of all, great name, Tim, but Tim sent us a picture of his garage and says, Don't know how well you can see it, but we still have a wreath and our red and green garage stash up as of yesterday. We cleaned out the whole garage, but my wife knows me well enough not to ask to take the Christmas lights down. First off, I love the term garage stash. Such a perfect description of that string of lights above the garage's mouth. But also, you too can now claim there's no point in taking them down. Leon Day is the point of no return for Christmas decorations. If they're up today, they're staying up, baby! Our last email in the bag is an intriguing one, and it's from Mark, who says, Hi, Tim. While listening to your last great episode, I started wondering what fans of your show are called. I think the phenomenon of nicknaming fans started in the 90s with Trekkies. Once Upon a Time fans are called Oncers, and fans of When Calls the Heart are known as Hearties. While I'm not a fan of those shows, I am of yours, so how should I introduce myself? You're not a fan of Star Trek, Mark? Oh, it hurts me. Anyway, on with the letter. There seems to be a few rules about nicknaming fans. Apparently, you must use one of the words of the title of the show, and then add a suffix to personify the name. Following those rules, I came up with Cantors. I thought I had nailed it because the nickname hints at caroling. When I fact-checked it, I discovered that canter is a type of horse walk. Pretty good, because it goes with jingle bells. However, not quite what I was looking for. Fortunately, if you change the E to an O, you can make it cantor. It works. Unfortunately, as all this was happening, I heard you use the term waiters. Am I too late? Is waiters stuck like diehard to the Christmas movie list? If everybody's already using waiter, okay. But if it's possible... Please consider asking everyone to make a switch. Merry Christmas, Mark. A very interesting idea, Mark. The name Waiters was suggested by a listener who sadly will not get credit because I cannot find the email message or tweet or Facebook or whatever it was that they came up with the idea. I feel like it must have read it on the show at some point because it's stuck. But it's my understanding that the fandom picks their own name. 
So I leave it for you to decide. I put up a poll on the show notes of this episode at can'twaitforchristmaspod.com. You can vote for waiters, canters, cantors, or you can make your own suggestions like maybe canties or maybe weightheads. I'll leave the poll up until July 24th and I'll announce the winner on our July 25th show. Also, my apologies for not naming the show something easier to make a nickname out of. Like, I could have called this podcast Christmas Babylon, and you could call yourself Babketeers. But while you're deciding on a name, I've decided to move on to our feature segment. We're going to head back to the golden age of Hollywood as we look at the 1947 classic Miracle on 34th Street. <laughs> story of a woman, Doris, who is in charge of running the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade, who is forced to use a last-minute replacement Santa. The replacement does so well, he's hired to be Santa at the Macy's store. Meanwhile, Doris's neighbor, an attorney named Fred, is trying to charm her daughter Susan in order to put the moves on Doris. No, he straight up admits this, like, early on in the movie. That is totally what he's doing. Anyway, it turns out that Santa thinks he's the real Kris Kringle. This leads to him eventually being put on trial with Fred as his lawyer. Can he convince the world he really is Santa? And more importantly, convince Doris and Susan about the importance of having faith? Of course he can. It's a Christmas movie. You see, Mrs. Walker, this is quite an opportunity for me. For the past 50 years or so, I've been getting more and more worried about Christmas. Seems we're all so busy trying to beat the other fellow and making things go faster and look shinier and cost less that... Christmas and I are sort of getting lost in the shuffle. Oh, I don't think so. Christmas is still Christmas. Oh, Christmas isn't just a day. It's a frame of mind. And that's what's been changing. That's why I'm glad I'm here. Maybe I can do something about it. And I'm glad I met you and your daughter. You two are a test case for me. We are? Yes, you're sort of the whole thing in miniature. If I can win you over, there's still hope. If not, then I guess I'm through. But I'm warning you. I don't give up easily. Now, it's no accident that we're talking about this movie now on our June episode. It was actually released in June of 1947. The head of 20th Century Fox, Daniel F. Zanuck, wanted to get the highest box office possible for the film. And he theorized that most people see movies not in the winter, but in the summer months. Nobody tell him about The Force Awakens, Avatar, Black Panther, or Titanic. Four of the top five American films of all time were released in the winter. Regardless, Zanuck insisted on the film being released in the summer. Uh, excuse me, technically, June 4th is not the summer, it is still the spring. It doesn't become summer until June 21st. Hey, this is not the climate podcast, it's a Christmas podcast, bugger off. Alright, but you're being scientifically inaccurate. Bah humbug! Anyway, this left the marketing department in a bit of a pickle. How do you sell audiences on a Christmas movie in the summer? Spring. Shush! Their solution, don't mention Christmas in any of the advertising. That's right, a movie that's about Santa Claus didn't mention Christmas in its advertising. In fact, they didn't even tell you what the film was about at all. They made a trailer for the film that had very little footage of the movie. Instead, it was a studio head trying to figure out how to sell the movie. What do you make a trailer for? To give the public an idea of what kind of a picture to expect. But boss, we hilarious, right? Romantic, tender, exciting. Make up your minds. It can't be all of those things. Mr. Shape, if you'd look at the picture. I don't have to look at the picture. I know you're wrong. Tender, exciting. Why, they're practically opposites. You've got to decide what kind of a picture this is. Is it a romantic love story? Is it an exciting thriller? Is it a hilarious comedy? Make up your minds. Now go to work and fix it up. Hey, Rex, how are you? 
Say, Rex, have you seen Miracle on 34th Street? Yes, on the preview. I've never heard laughs like it in the theater before. Oh, is that right? Uh, don't miss it. I was crazy about it. You really think we've got something, huh? I don't know whether the women will like it, but it's a great man's picture. Well, it's nice to see you, Ed. Got to get back to work. Yeah. See you later. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Anne Baxter, good to see you. Oh, uh, say, Anne. Yeah. Have you seen Miracle on 34th Street? Have I? Ed, it's wonderful. Yeah, I understand. It's a pretty good comedy. Comedy? Well, I suppose that's true. I had a million laughs, but the thing that got me were the tears in between. It's so tender and charming and warm. I don't know how the men are going to like it. It's a great woman's picture. Is that so? Oh, there's one scene between John Payne and Maureen O'Hara. Well, he's trying to prove... No, I'm not going to spoil it for you. You go and see it. Side note, I wish studios did more of this stuff today. Nowadays, if you see a trailer for a movie, you've spoiled like 90% of the plot for yourself. I'd love it if the trailer for the next Avengers movie was just Kevin Feige asking random stars in the Disney lot what they thought of the movie. But anyway, the strategy worked because the movie came out in June and people flocked to it. In fact, people kept going to see it so often that it was still in theaters by the time Christmas rolled around. As much as everyone loved it, there was one person who initially didn't want to make it. Maureen O'Hara, who plays Doris. The movie was filmed in 1946, right after World War II ended. You see, Maureen was from Ireland and had come to the United States to act. But when the war broke out, the United States government didn't let any Europeans travel back to their home countries. So finally, when the war ended and the travel restrictions were no longer in place, she booked it home to Ireland to visit her family. However, not long after landing, she got a call from the studio saying she had to get back on the plane and return to America to film what would be Miracle on 34th Street. Needless to say, Maureen was not having it. She told her agent she was just going to quit acting rather than being forced into make this movie. However, her agent insisted she read the script, and when she did, she fell in love with it and she was fully on board. I fired him. Who? Santa Claus. What? He's crazy. He thinks he is Santa Claus. Why, I don't care if he thinks he's the Easter Bunny. You've got to get him back. He's insane, I tell you. We'll just have to hire somebody else and have him do the same thing. Oh, no. no. You heard what Mr. Macy said. We've got to keep him. But what if he should have a sudden fit or something? Oh, no, no, I've got to tell Mr. Macy. But, but maybe he's only a little crazy, like painters or composers or, or some of those men in Washington. Now, the story of the movie starts during the famous Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. And if you thought they did a pretty good job of recreating the parade for the movie, that's because they didn't. They actually filmed the opening at the actual parade. In fact, Edmund Gwen, who plays Santa in the film, actually played Santa in the parade that year. The film crew just set up cameras along the parade route so they could capture what they needed. But that wasn't the only on-location filming they did. They also filmed at the Macy's department store in New York. Of course, they couldn't do this during the day when it was full of customers, so they had to film at night. Marina Hara and Natalie Wood, who plays her daughter Susan in the film, loved this. Between takes, they would roam the store and try on all sorts of different outfits. In addition, when they were filming the exteriors of the scene in front of the house at the end of the movie... Uh, spoilers? You know what, Kermit Guy, I think we've run the spoilers gag into the ground. When has running a joke into the ground ever stopped you? Fair enough. Anyway, it was so cold when they were filming those scenes that the cameras stopped working. Fortunately, a neighbor let them come inside and warm up. After filming, Maureen O'Hara took the homeowners out to dinner at New York's Club 21, which I assume is almost as awesome as going to Club 33. Ha <laughs> ha! One of the biggest hurdles the film had to clear was after the production was complete. You see, a lot of the plot revolves around not only the Macy store, but also their rivalry with the Gimbel store. Now, this was a very real rivalry that the two stores had. In order to get their permission to use their names in the film, the filmmakers gave the stores final approval on the film. If either one saw the movie and didn't like how they were portrayed, they had the power to prevent the film from being released. 
the filmmakers would have had to go back and do lots of expensive reshoots to remove any mention of the stores from the finished film. So the heads of Macy's and Gimbel's got a private screening of the film before it was released, separately of course, and fortunately they both loved it. In fact, when the film was released, Macy closed their New York store for part of the day and paid for all their employees to see a screening of the film. From now on, not only will our Santa Claus continue in this manner, but I want every salesperson in this store to do precisely the same thing. If we haven't got exactly what the customer wants, we'll send him where he can get it. No high pressuring and forcing a customer to take something he doesn't really want. But after all, uh, we'll be known as the helpful store, the friendly store, the store with a heart. The store that places public service ahead of profits. And Macy's weren't the only ones who liked it. It was nominated for four Academy Awards, including Best Picture, which it unfortunately lost to Gentleman's Agreement, but it won the other three, Best Original Story, Best Screenplay, and Best Supporting Actor, Edmund Gwen. Best Supporting Actor, Edmund Gwen of the Miracle on 34th Street. <laughs> now I know there's a Santa Claus. <laughs> Oh, you may laugh, ladies and gentlemen. It's not so easy to be certain, you know. He's a most elusive little fellow. <laughs> Turns up in all sorts of places under all sorts of names and disguises. First time I ever met him, he told me his name was George Seaton. And wonderfully, George Seaton had his revenge by bringing him to life. About a year and a half ago, he suddenly turned up at Culver City and told me his name was Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer. That was the day Metro agreed to loan me to Fox to make the picture. And now, I think it's time Santa Claus added a word to his name. I think he ought to call himself Santa Claus Incorporated. Santa Claus Inc. Inc. For then, it will embrace all you wonderful, wonderful kind people who have done me the honor of making me stand here tonight. Thank you, all of you, for making the evening of my life such a happy one. Thank you. When I set out to research this movie for the show, one of the things I expected to find was a bunch of law blogs pointing out how ridiculous the courtroom logic was. To my surprise, mostly everything I've found seems to praise the film for finding a plausible way to prove that Kris Kringle is Santa Claus. The fact that the post office delivers mail to him. One criticism I did find was from Cracked.com, and it wasn't so much about the trial itself, but the aftermath. See, we don't see what happens after Christmas, but basically this guy has just been legally declared Santa Claus. Couldn't he now lay claim to thousands of the times his name and likeness have been used? Hey Coca-Cola, you want to make more of those ads? You better kick Kris Kringle down something. That's legally him you're putting in his ads. Hey Hallmark, who's on that Christmas card? Is that Kris Kringle? Cash, please. Maybe I didn't do such a wonderful thing after all. But of course, since he's Santa, he probably won't do that, right? But then I read another article that blew my mind all the way to 34th Street and back again. The film never definitively establishes that Kris Kringle is Santa. I've always assumed he is, but nothing in the film definitively proves he is. Yes, he speaks Dutch to that little girl in the store, and it's impressive, but that doesn't prove anything. He also arranged for Doris and Fred to pass by a house with Susan, but that just proves he's clever. Seems to me a good way to prove who he was in that courtroom would have been for him to have the reindeer fly by. Your Honor, I'd like to enter into evidence the eight flying reindeer outside the courtroom window. Yeah, the defense rests. Huh? With the reindeer, I mean. You've got Cupid where Blitzen should be. And Dasher, oh, Dasher should be on my right-hand side. He should, huh? Yes. 
Now, Fox definitely knew they had a hit on their hands and couldn't wait to milk it. They did a radio version with a lot of the original cast. There was a Broadway show based on the film. They even made two TV movie versions of this film, as well as a full-on theatrical remake of the film in the 90s. Maureen O'Hara has some less-than-kind words for those remakes, though. It has been remade three times, and I'm happy and proud to say that all times it was a flop. But the first one was the best one. Now, Maureen may not want to see the film remade, but that doesn't mean she didn't want more Miracle on 34th Street goodness. She revealed that John Payne, the guy who played Fred, had written a sequel. He had promised to send it to her, but tragically he died before he had the chance. I find this fascinating for many reasons. First, the original film was in 1947. John Payne died in 1989. That means his sequel would have taken place more than 40 years later? Also, Edmund Gwen had already passed in 1959, and Natalie Wood died in 1981. So who was going to be in the movie? Just Maureen and John as an old married couple? Also, is there any chance it was going to be called Miracle on 35th Street? I don't know. But I simultaneously want to read the sequel script and never want to read the sequel script. But since I probably never will, I'll just stick with the original. A perfect Christmas movie and a near-perfect movie, period. I don't suppose you even want to talk to me. Something about a present. Yes, I know. I'm sorry, Susie. I tried my best, but... but... You couldn't get it because you're not Santa Claus, that's why. You're just a nice old man with whiskers, like my mother said. And I shouldn't have believed you. I was wrong when I told you that, Susie. You must believe in Mr. Kringle and keep right on doing it. You must have faith in him. But he didn't get me the... That doesn't make sense, Mommy. Faith is believing in things when common sense tells you not to. Now it's time for the results of our latest Who Sang It Best. Last time, it was the song Children Go Where I Send Thee, and the contestants were Johnny Cash and Kenny Rogers. And your votes say you overwhelmingly prefer Johnny Cash. I'll be honest, this broke my heart a little. I love the Kenny Rogers version. It's one of my favorite modern-day carols. I was hoping I'd put it in our showdown and you all would fall in love with it too. But, sadly, it seems the man in black stole your hearts. Well played, Johnny Cash. Well played. But now we're going to write our own Christmas TV movie in our running segment, All the Hallmarks of a Great Christmas Movie. A few days ago, I fired up the old Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram machines to ask you all for an adjective, a job, a big project associated with the job, a city, an activity, a place to do the activity, and a grade in school. And boy, did you come through. Thank you to Brian, Lindsay, Rich Number 1, Todd, Aaron, Arthur, Stephanie, Rich Number 2, Megan, Andrew, Sean from Twitter, Rachel, Sean from Instagram, Emma, and Blake. Between all of you, we got this batch of Christmas goodness. Sassy. Health Inspector, Inspect a Food Truck Convention, Detroit, Skeet Shooting, Bowling Alley, and Third Grade. Now, let's see how it works in a story as we read the synopsis for A Sassy Christmas. Weeks before Christmas, Health Inspector Emma is sent to her hometown of Detroit to inspect a food truck convention. As Emma is kept busy with the inspection, her 8-year-old daughter Lindsay is introduced to the art of skeet shooting at a local bowling alley. Emma is surprised to find out that the alley's owner is Ricardo, her old third-grade sweetheart and former skeet-shooting partner. When Emma and Ricardo reconnect, sparks fly on and off the bowling alley. The beautiful Christmas traditions of Detroit become the backdrop for spirited skeet-shooting and unexpected romance. Brilliant! 
I think the best parts of that movie will be the flashbacks of the third graders skeet shooting in a bowling alley. A sassy Christmas indeed. Remember, if you want to get on the next one, follow us on Facebook and Instagram where we're Can't Wait for Christmas Pod or on Twitter where we're just Christmas Pod. And that's our show. Don't forget, next episode is our third year anniversary listener suggestion show, so be sure to send us a note about what you'd like us to talk about. Remember, our email is christmas at tancast.com. Tan, like the color, cast, like a podcast. And don't forget to go to the show notes at can'twaitforchristmaspod.com to vote for what you think fans of the show should be called. And while you're there, be sure to click on the links for all the great Christmas in July stuff from our fellow online Christmas content creators. And keep an eye out for the big Christmas trivia game show coming July 15th. That ought to keep your Christmas spirit flowing for a while, so until next time, keep laughing all the way. And that was Christmas 1983. Actually, Dad, it's 2018. Oh. Ho, ho, ho. Thank you for listening to the Can't Wait for Christmas podcast. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to us on iTunes, or we're available on Stitcher and Google Play as well. If you'd like to leave a comment on this or any episode, go to our official website at can'twaitforchristmaspod.com. While you're there, you'll find a link to our official Zazzle store, where you can grab customizable t-shirts, ornaments, bumper stickers, and all sorts of other Christmas merchandise all year long. You can also connect with us on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash can'twaitforchristmaspod. Or on Twitter, we are at ChristmasPod. Or you could always send us an email directly at christmas at tancast.com. The Can't Wait for Christmas podcast is part of the Tancast Podcast Network. We Wish You a Merry Christmas was performed by the United States Marine Corps Band. And this amazing version of Jingle Bells on the Accordion was performed by the wonderful and talented Kristen Nowicki. All other music and sounds used in this episode are the properties of their individual copyright holders, and no infringement is intended. Okay, boys, did I forget anything? God bless us, everyone. Normally, I try and give you a tip to get a little Christmas in you. Normally, I try to give you a little tip in this. Normally, in this part of the show, I try to give you a little tip to get a little Christmas. Normally, I try. Normally, in this part of the show, I try to give you a tip to get a little Christmas any day. But that's not this time. Ugh, criminy. I'm on the first paragraph and I can't get it. Really? Now someone's setting off fireworks. It's Leon Day Eve. It's not even July, much less 4th of July. Apparently, you must use one of the words in the title of the show and then add a suffix to personify the name. Or is it personify? Personify. Tim is good at reading. No. I'll leave the poll up until July 24th, and I'll announce the winner on our July 5th show. Nope, we don't have a July 5th show. I didn't type that right. Uh, Tim, technically June 4th. When did I say June 4th? Is that when it was released? Nope. I think it was released June 4th. Now I gotta look at the date. Flibberty flu, beeberty boop bop boo. Where is my internet browser to look for this? I gotta find out when it was released. I thought I knew, but I guess not. Dip on it, do it, yeah. Come on, come on.
June 4th. I was right. I didn't need to go through all this. Uh, excuse me, technically, June 4th is not the summer, it is still the spring. It doesn't become summer until June 21st. It doesn't become summer until June 22nd. It doesn't become summer until June 20th. I decided not to look that up now, I'll look it up later, but I've recorded all three versions of when I think summer starts.